Section twenty nine of A Life's Morning. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Shi Ping Ling. A Life's Morning by George Gissing. Section twenty nine, chapter twenty two. Her Path in the Shadow. Yielding to the urgency of Beatrice, who was supported in her entreaty by Mrs. Burks, Wilfred had, a little ere this, consented to sit for his portrait to an artist, a friend of the family, who had already made a very successful picture of Beatrice herself. The artist resided at Teddington. Wilfred was due for a sitting this Wednesday morning, and he went down into the country intending to be back for lunch at the House of Commons. But the weather was magnificent, and the sitting over, truant thoughts began to assail the young legislator. Bushy Park was at hand, with its chestnut avenue leading to Hampton Court. A ramble of indefinite duration was, in his present frame of mind, much more attractive than the eloquence of independent members he determined to take a holiday a very leisurely stroll across the park brought him to the king's arms and the sight of the hostelry suggested pleasant thoughts of sundry refreshing viands and cooling liquors he entered and lunched it was a holiday and a truant holiday he allowed himself champagne when he came forth again his intention to stroll through the galleries of the palace had given way before the remembered shadow of the chestnuts he returned to the park and after idly watching the fish in the shallow water of the round lake strayed away into cool retreats where the grass irresistibly invited to recumbency he threw himself down and let his eyes dream upon the delicate blades and stalks and leafage which one so seldom regards if he chose to gaze further there were fair tracts of shadowed sward with sunny gleamings scattered where the trees were thinner and above him the heaven of clustering leaves here of impenetrable dark green there translucent golden a rustling whisper in the air and on the ground was the only voice that came thither he had set himself to think of beatrice he purposed writing her a long letter to-night wherein he would do his best to make her understand the light in which the past appeared to him and how little those memories had to do with the present and its love and its duty to be sure he could not use the words of very truth he would much have preferred to speak with unflinching honesty to confess that he had even of late often dwelt on the thought of emily with tenderness with something of heartache but that the new love had for all that triumphed over the old and would henceforth grow to perfectness but the character of beatrice would not allow this in her feeling was too predominant over intellect she could not recognize in this very frankness the assurance of an affection which would end by being no less than the utmost she demanded 
he had to seek for subtleties of explanation for ingenuities of argument which unsatisfactory as they seemed to himself might yet he thought help her to the reconciliation he knew she desired he was scarcely less anxious for it for beatrice he would never know that limitless passion that infinite yearning alike of spirit and of sense which had been his love for emily but she was very dear to him and with all his heart he desired to make her happiness he imaged her beauty and her talent with pride which made his veins warmer her husband he would be loyal to his last breath community of life would establish that intimate alliance of heart and soul which every year makes more enduring were they not young flesh and blood he and she and could a bodiless ghost come between them a mere voice of long vanished time insubstantial unseizable as the murmur in these chestnut leaves he grew tired of the attitudes which at first had been reposeful and rose to wander further someone else it seemed had been tempted to this quiet corner away from the road a woman was walking at a little distance and reading as she walked the thought passed through his mind that a woman never looked more graceful than when walking with her head bent over a book when he looked that way again he found that she had come much nearer still very intent upon her reading she had in truth a comely figure one which suggested a face of the nobler kind she would look up presently did not that form that movement as she walked stirred memories yes he had known someone who might well have paced thus beneath spreading trees with her eyes upon a book of poetry not unlike this stranger outwardly in what black skyless leafless town was she pursuing her lonely life lonely why should it be so emily could not go on her way without meeting the one whom her sweetness and her power would enthrall and the reasons whatever they were that had forbidden her marriage six or seven years ago were not likely to resist time he tried to hope that the happier lot had by this solaced her do we not change so his own love see how it had faded half purposely he had turned so as to pass near the reader at a distance of a few yards from her he stayed his step a little nearer she came then something made her aware of his presence she raised her eyes the eyes of emily hood her hands fell one still holding the book open he who was prepared already could watch her countenance change from placid if grave thought to the awakening of surprise to startled recognition he could see the color die upon her cheeks flee from her lips he could observe the great heart-throbs which shook her and left her bosom quivering he did not uncover his head conventional courtesies have their season it seemed very long before they ceased to look into each other's eyes but at length hers fell is it possible that you are living in london were wilfred's first words 
he could affect no distance of manner to him all at once it was as though they had parted a few days ago yes she answered simply in a far part of london and we meet here where i seem to find myself by the merest chance i saw a stranger in the distance and thought of yourself i knew you long before you looked up from your reading emily tried to smile how little you are changed wilfred continued his voice keeping still its old quietness with under notes of feeling rather you are not changed at all it was not true but in the few minutes that he had gazed at her past and present had so blended that he could not see what another would have noticed emily was appreciably older and ill health had set marks upon her face a stranger looking at her now would have found it hard to imagine her with the light of joy in her eyes her features had set themselves in sorrow her cheeks were very thin her eyes were dark and sunken wilfred saw only the soul in her gaze at him and that was as it had ever been she was unable to speak wilfred found words do you often walk here is your home near not very near i came by the river she answered i am very glad that i have met you the words sounded insufficient but wilfred was by this time at battle with himself and succeeded in saying less than he felt you will let me walk on a little way with you we can shake hands at once and say good-bye can we after such a long time he spoke in the tone one uses to jest over bygone sadness emily made no verbal answer but walked along by his side you still have your old habits he said casting an eye at the book are your tastes still the same i wonder it is dante she replied the name brought another to wilfred's consciousness he averted his eyes for a moment but spoke again without much delay still faithful to the great names this is a lovely place to make one's study were you here when the chestnuts flowered yes once or twice i did not see them this year and you have been walking here so often he added wondering again half to himself i have been to teddington several times lately but only to-day came into the park i have not been here for a month emily said speaking at length with more ease the shock had affected her physically more than she had allowed to be seen it was only now that her voice was perfectly at her command her face remained grave but she spoke in a tone free from suggestion of melancholy i teach in a school and to-day there is a holiday do you live at the school no i have my own lodgings he was on the point of asking whether mrs baxendale knew she was in london but it seemed better to suppress the question have you been here long he asked instead half a year as he kept silence emily continued with a question the first she had put what have you chosen for your life's work wilfred could not overcome the tendency of blood to his cheeks he was more than half ashamed to tell her the truth you will laugh at me he said i am in parliament you are 
I never see newspapers. She added it as if to excuse herself for not being aware of his public activity. Oh, I am still far from being a subject of leading articles, Wilfred exclaimed. Indeed, I gave you no answer to your questions. My life's work is non-existent. All my old plans have come to nothing, and I have formed no new ones, no serious plans. My life will be a failure, I suppose. But you aim at success in politics. I suppose so. I was thinking of the other things we used to speak of. Emily hazarded a glance at him, as if to examine him again in this new light. You used to say, she continued, that you felt in many ways suited for a political life. Did I? You mean at home, when I talked in a foolish way? It was not my serious thought. I never say it to you. She murmured a no. They walked on in silence. You didn't read Italian then, Wilfred said. You, I feel sure, have not wasted your time. How much you must have read since we talked over our favorite authors. I have tried to keep up the habit of study, Emily replied, unaffectedly, but of course most of my time is occupied in teaching. Their walk had brought them from under the trees, and the lake was just before them. I will go on to the bridge, Emily said. The boat I return by will leave shortly. She spoke as if expecting him to take leave of her. Wilfred inwardly bade himself do so. He had seen her, had talked with her, what more for either. Yet it was beyond his power to stand here and see her walk away from him. Things were stirring in his heart and mind, of which he refused to take cognizance. He would grant nothing more than a sense of pleasure in hearing once again a voice which had so long been buried, and there was no harm in that. Was not his strongest feeling merely surprise at having met her thus? Even yet he found a difficulty in realizing that it was she with whom he spoke. Had he closed his eyes and then looked round for her in vain, it would only have appeared the natural waking from intense reverie. Why not dream on as long as he might? May I not walk as far as the bridge with you? he asked. If I were not afraid of being tiresome, I should even like to go by the boat. It would be the pleasantest way of getting back to town. Yes, it is pleasant on the river, Emily said rather absently. They pursued their walk together, and conversed still much in the same way. Wilfred learned that her school was in Hammersmith, a large day school for girls. He led her to speak of the subjects she taught, and of her pupils. You preferred it, he asked, to private teaching? I think so. Once on the boat their talk grew less consecutive. The few words they exchanged now and then were suggested by objects or places past. At length even these remarks ceased, and for the last half-hour they held silence. Other people close by were talking noisily, 
emily sat with both her hands holding the book upon her lap her eyes seldom moving from a point directly before her wilfred glanced at her frequently he was more observant now of the traces of bodily weakness in her he saw how meagre she had become how slight her whole frame was at moments it cost him a serious effort to refrain from leaning to her and whispering words he knew not what something kind something that should change her fixed sadness why had he forced his company upon her certainly he brought her no joy and presently he would take leave of her as any slight acquaintance might how otherwise it would have been better to part there by the lake where she offered the occasion the steamer reached hammersmith only at this last moment he seemed to understand where he was and with whom that emily was sitting by him in very deed here by his side and directly would be gone he knew not whither scarcely to be met again the silence between them had come off the difficulty they both had in realizing that they were together of the dreaminess so strange an event had cast upon them were they to fall apart again without a word a sign a sign of what forsooth wilfred moved with her to the spot at which she would step from the deck seeing him follow emily threw back one startled glance the next moment she again turned holding out her hand he took it held it pressed it nothing could restrain that pressure his muscles closed upon her slight fingers involuntarily then he watched her walk hurriedly from the landing stage her we follow she had a walk of nearly half an hour which brought her at length to one of the streets of small lodging-houses which abound in this neighbourhood and to a door which she opened with her latch-key she went upstairs here two rooms were her home that which looked upon the street was furnished in the poor bare style which the exterior of the dwelling would have led one to expect a very hideous screen of coloured paper hid the fireplace and in front of the small oblong mirror cracked across one corner which stood above the mantelpiece were diverse ornaments such as one meets with in poor lodging-houses certain pictures about the walls completed the effect of vulgarity emily let herself sink upon the chintz-covered couch and lay back closing her eyes she had thrown off her hat but was too weary too absent in thought to remove her mantle her face was as colourless as if she had fainted she kept one hand pressed against her heart unconsciously she had walked home with a very quick step and quick movement caused her physical suffering she sat thus for a quarter of an hour when there came a tap at the door her landlady entered oh i thought miss hood she began you'd maybe run the bell as usual and i hadn't heard it i do sometimes think i'm getting a little hard of hearing my husband tell me of it will you have the tea made thank you mrs willis emily replied rising 
she opened a low cupboard beside the fireplace took out a teapot and put some tea into it you'd have a long walk i suppose continued the woman and delightful weather for it too but you must mind as you don't overtire yourself you don't look very strong if i may say it oh i'm very well was the mechanical reply after a few more remarks the landlady took away the teapot emily then drew out a cloth from the cupboard and other things needful for her evening meal presently the teapot returned filled with hot water emily was glad to pour out a cup and drink it but she ate nothing in a short time she rang the bell to have the things removed this time a little girl appeared eh miss was the exclamation of the child on examining the state of the table you haven't eaten nothing no i don't want anything just now milly was the quiet reply shall i leave the bread and butter out no thank you i'll have some later is there anything i could get you miss nothing milly take the things away there's a good girl emily had seated herself on the couch again when the girl was gone she lay down her hands beneath her head long long since she had had so much to think of as to-night at first she had found wilfred a good deal altered he looked so much older his bearded face naturally caused that but before he had spoken twenty words how well she knew that the change was only of appearance his voice was a little deeper but the tone and manner of his speaking carried her back to the days when they had first exchanged words when she was a governess at the first in surrey and wilfred was the interesting young fellow who had overworked himself at college the circumstances of to-day's meeting had reproduced something of the timidity with which he had approached her when they were strangers this afternoon she had scarcely looked into his eyes but she felt their gaze upon her and felt their power as of old ah fiftyfold stronger was he married it was more than possible nothing had escaped him inconsistent with that and he was not likely to speak of it directly it would account for the nature of his embarrassment in talking with her her keen insight distinguished something more than the hesitation which common memories would naturally cause and that pressure of the hand at parting which had made her heart leap with such agony might well be his way of intimating to her that this meeting would have no sequel was it to be expected that he should remain unmarried had she hoped it it could not be called hope but for two or three years something had grown in her which made life a succession of alternating longings and despairs for emily was not so constituted that the face of thought and feeling which had been brought about by the tragedy of her home could perpetuate itself and become her normal consciousness when she fled from dunfield she believed that the impulses then so strong would prevail with her to the end of her life that the motives which were then predominant in her soul would maintain their ruling force for ever 
and many months went by before she suspected that her imagination had deceived her imagination ever the most potent factor of her being the source alike of her strength and her weakness but there came a day when the poignancy of her grief was subdued and she looked around her upon a world more desolate than that in which she found herself on the day of her mother's burial she began to know once more that she was young and that existence stretched before her a limitless track of barren endurance the rare natures which are in truth ruled by the instinct of renunciation which find in the mortification of sense a spring of unearthly joy brimming higher with each self-conquest may experience temptation and relapse but the former is a new occasion for the arming of the spirit and the latter speedily leads to a remorse which is the strongest of all incentives to ascetic struggle emily had not upon her the seal of sainthood it was certain that at some point of her life asceticism would make irresistible claim upon the strongholds of her imagination none the less certain that it would be but for time that it would prove but a stage in her development to her misfortune the occasion presented itself in connection with her strongest native affections and under circumstances which led her to an irretrievable act had she been brought up in a roman catholic country she would doubtless have thrown herself into a convent finding her stern joy in the thought that no future wavering was possible attempting to make a convent of her own mind she soon knew too well that her efforts marked her that there was in her an instinct stronger than that of renunciation and that she had condemned herself to a life of futile misery her state of mind for the year following her father's death was morbid little differing from madness and she came at length to understand that when time had tempered her anguish she saw with clear eyes that her acts had been guided by hallucination never would sorrow for her parents cease to abide with her but sorrow cannot be the sustenance of a life through those years when the mind is strongest and its sensations most vivid had she by her self-mortification done aught to pleasure those dear ones who slept their last sleep it had been the predominant feature of her morbid passion to believe that piety demanded such a sacrifice grief may reach such a point that to share the uttermost fate of the beloved one seems blessedness in emily's mind that moment of supreme agony had been protracted till unreasoning desire took to itself the guise of duty duty so represented cannot maintain its sanction when the wounds of nature grow towards healing she strove with herself the reaction she was experiencing seemed to her a shameful weakness must she cease to know the self-respect which comes of conscious perseverance in a noble effort must she stand self-condemned an ignoble nature incapable of anything good and great 
and that after all her ambitions was she a mere waif at the mercy of the currents of sense never before had she felt this condemnation of her own spirit she had suffered beyond utterance but ever with a support which kept her from the last despair of her anguish had come inspiration now she felt herself abandoned of all spiritual good she came to loathe her life as a polluted stream the image of wilfred the memory of a lost love these grew to be symbols of her baseness it was too much to face those with whom daily duty brought her in contact surely they must read in her face the degradation of which she was conscious as much as possible she kept apart from all nursing her bitter self-reproach then it was that she sought relief in the schemes which naturally occurred to a woman thus miserable she would relinquish her life as a teacher and bury her wretchedness beneath physical hardship there was anguish enough in the world and she would go to live in the midst of it would undertake the hardest and most revolting tasks in some infirmary thus might she crush out of herself the weakness which was her disgrace it remained only a vision that which was terribly real the waste and woe of her heart grew ever she yielded was not a true thing this that she tried to accomplish the slaying of the love which cried so from her inmost being glimpses of the old faith began to be once more vouchsafed her at moments she knew the joy of beautiful things this was in springtime living in the great seaport she could easily come within sight of the blue line where heaven and ocean met and that symbol of infinity stirred once more the yearnings for boundless joy which in bygone days she had taught herself to accept as her creed supposing that her father had still knowledge of the life she led would it make him happy to know that she had deprived herself of every pleasure had for his sake ruined a future which might have been so fair not thus do we show piety to the dead rather in binding our brows with every flower our hands may call and in drinking sunlight as long as the west keeps for us one gleam she had destroyed herself joy could arise to her from but one source and that was stopped for ever for it never came to emily as the faintest whisper that other love than wilfred's might bless her life there was constancy which nothing could shake in this she would never fall from the ideal she had set before herself she no longer tried to banish thoughts of what she had lost wilfred was a companion at all hours far more real than the people with whom she had to associate she had alas destroyed his letters she had destroyed the books in which she wrote the secrets of her heart that he might some day read them the lack of a single thing that had come to her from him made the more terribly real the severance of his life from hers she anguished without hope then there came to her the knowledge that her bodily strength was threatened by disease she had fainting fits 
and in the comfort administered by those about her she read plainly what was meant to be concealed at times this was a relief at least she might hope to be spared long years of weary desolation and death come when he might would be a friend in other hours the all but certainty of her doom was a thought so terrible that reason well nigh failed before it was there no hope for her for ever nothing but the grave to rest her tired heart why had fate dealt with her so cruelly she looked round and saw none upon whom had fallen a curse so unrelieved at last the desire to go once more to the south of england grew overpowering if she could live in london she felt it might console her to feel that she was near wilfred he would not seem as now in a world utterly remote perchance she might one day even see him if she had knowledge of the approach of death wilfred would not refuse to come and see her at the last and with her hand in his how easy it would be to die she sought for means of supporting herself in london she still had money saved from that which the sale of her father's house had brought her but she did not wish to use more of this than she could help keeping it for a certain cherished purpose after many months of fruitless endeavour she found a place in a school in hammersmith and wilfred had sat by her had looked at her with something of the old tenderness had pressed her hand as no one else would far into the night she lay thinking over every word he had spoken sometimes she wept poor emily he had not asked her where she lived for that doubtless there was good reason but it was much to have seen him this once again she wept saying to herself that she loved him that he was lost to her that she must die end of section twenty nine chapter twenty two recording by shi ping ling